Welcome to Devices and Desires. This is a new podcast, and we're looking at the culture we live in, exposing cracks in the stories it tells, stories of progress, self-image, success, and happiness. And we're trying to figure out what it looks like for the gospel to open up from within that fragmented culture. We'll bring our perspective as Anglican Christians, but whoever you are, we hope you'll track with us as we examine the devices and desires of our own hearts and those of our culture. I'm Father Brian Wandell at Church of the Atonement in Buffalo, New York. I'm joined with a few friends here. Uh, and I'd like to just uh, kick it out to my friends here. You can introduce yourselves as we get going. Andrew, can you kick us off? Sure. Uh, my name is Father Andrew Tebow. I am uh, the assistant priest at St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. I'm, uh, oh, I'm James Kibbe, and uh, I also attend uh, St. Bartholomew's Anglican <clears throat> Church, uh, Western New York. And our guest today is Dr. Samuel Cloud. Sam, uh, what's, uh, what's your job? What do you do? So I am an emergency physician at Erie County Medical Center, which is a level one tertiary care academic medical center. And I'm also the associate medical director for Erie County Medical Center. Yeah, that's amazing. So uh, Sam has done a lot of really good thought. He's with us today uh, for two reasons. One is his thoughtfulness on living out a life of faith uh, combined with his experience uh, in emergency medicine. Uh, so there's a lot of good practical experience with uh, the thoughtfulness there. But also he gave a talk at the Nickel City Forum, which is a drinks and discussion series we have in Buffalo. And that was back in September of 2019. That talk was called anxiety in modern culture. And we're going to talk about, we're going to discuss some of what was going on there in that talk. Uh, so we're looking today at the role of anxiety in our culture, how that affects all of us, how it, how it affects um, our opportunity to live out a life of faith and be a witness in the world. So before I get going, I, I, I used a $10 word there, anxiety. Uh, for some people, that's going to trigger something when I say that. Um, Sam, what, what are we talking about when we talk about anxiety in our culture? Well, anxiety has become kind of a uh, kind of a basket term for everything that makes us feel uncomfortable. Um, and but there's a spectrum. Anxiety is it actually can actually be is you know probably is designed by God to be something somewhat of a warning. You you want to be you want to be thinking and planning for the future. You want to be cautious when um, you're potentially going into a dangerous situation. So anxiety is probably something that was baked into our personas that if it becomes excessive can uh, in varying degrees cause crippling of someone's life. So, you know, all the way from I I'm, I'm mildly anxious because my husband just lost his job reasonable to um, what we're seeing now, which is a, uh, a dramatic increase in um, diagnosable mental health disorders associated with anxiety. So presumably even animals have some, something like anxiety going in them, right? Uh, this is not Absolutely. something brand new in, uh, in biology or even in civilization. And even, no. even me mental health disorders, while we have labels for them, like even those existed 2000 years ago, right? There was, it yes. happened some, some way. So what's, what's different now about the situation with anxiety uh, that, that we're dealing with? 
So I, I agree with you. Anxiety um, is baked into who we are. Um, and there's, if you look back at scripture, um, anxiety is addressed all over the place. So it's clearly been something that is as old as the human condition. What, and, and, it, and pathological anxiety is as old as the human condition. Starting though about 14 years ago, about the same time as social media came into being, we started seeing a tremendous increase in diagnosed mental health disorders uh, associated with anxiety. So we have had generalized anxiety disorder. Um, that diagnosis has exploded in the last 14 years. So it seems like something has changed. There's always been in our society a baseline level of anxiety that the average healthy person um, deals with. There's always been a baseline amount of anxiety that is pathological that causes people's lives to change. Um, and, but now that section, that small section of people that had um, really struggled with, with their mental health because of anxiety has now gotten quite a bit bigger in the last 15 years or so. And so that's kind of something that is, has interested me and, and many um, healthcare providers is something that we actually talk about quite a bit because we're seeing so much more of, of and, the, and the consequences of that increase in that segment of people that have now a diagnosed medical condition. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that from your practical experience working in emergency medicine? How does that look in the ER now versus 15 years ago? Some, most of us, most of our listeners wouldn't know that. We, most of us fortunately haven't been in the ER enough in the last 15 years to measure that. So from your perspective, yeah, hopefully. clinically. So I was, I've been thinking about this a lot recently, and, and I would put the emergency department volume into thirds. Um, one third have um, things that are, you know, you would think you would go to the ER for. I fell off a ladder and have a broken leg. I was using a saw and I sliced my hand open. That's about a third of our volume, broken bones, lacerations, falls. Um, about a third of our patients are seriously ill. Um, and that might be a otherwise healthy 25-year-old woman who now has a kidney infection that has become invasive, um, uh, or more commonly, someone with a lot of chronic medical conditions when these conditions are causing their health to deteriorate acutely, and so they come in quite ill. But we have this third bucket um, that I've thought a lot about in the last few years, um, which are patients who come in who have um, severe headaches, crushing chest pain, shortness of breath, um, severe abdominal pain, intractable nausea and vomiting, and we do a thorough workup, you know, a multi-thousand dollar workup with CAT scans and blood tests and MRIs, depending, um, because you don't want to blow off. Um, if somebody says they have a severe headache, you're not going to blow that off. Um, and then you find nothing. And um, often these patient symptoms get better. Sometimes they don't. You end up admitting them. Um, but I started thinking more and more about this over the last several years and this, this phenomenon and realizing how um, the mind-body connection is so important. And even there's an old, uh, there's an old um, kind of stereotype in medicine of the medical student that gets every disease they've read about, right? And so that's kind of a, it's kind of a version of that. Um, you know, if, if I thought about my back hurting and focused on that, my back would start hurting. Anxiety turbocharges the, all the negative energy in your, in your body. And so that negative energy can manifest itself as chest pain, et cetera. And so it's actually very challenging for clinicians um, because if you've got a high 
a person with high blood pressure, smoker, they're obese, and they're complaining of crushing chest pain, you're obviously going to take that very seriously. So we end up admitting a lot of these patients. And then their workups end up being negative. And uh, we can't always tell who's going to be positive and who's going to be negative um, in their, their workup for heart disease, for example. So, you know, as I've progressed and matured as a clinician, I often will ask if, if some of the initial testing is coming back negative and my own kind of gestalt says, I'm more if there's an anxiety component. I've started asking more and more, what else is going on in your life? You know, and then often I'll start getting tears and my son was arrested yesterday. My husband lost his job. My sister just moved back in with me and we fight continuously. And so I, I see a lot of that. And um, so those, that is kind of those stressors um, trigger physical, a physical reaction in, in many people, if not most people, if you have enough stress. And so I became very interested in this, this topic because of that, those observations. And then I've had other colleagues say, geez, I've seen so many anxious people. Um, I've, you, we're all hearing that more and more. Wow. So can I uh, back this truck up a little bit? Uh, you know, so 15 years or so we've got, you know, you mentioned social media. There's one change there. Mm-hmm. We, we did an episode about smartphones. There's significant ways in which, we change how our brains work and, and our social interactions due to having the internet on our person all the time. Um, can we can we think a little bit further back? Do you, one, one reason I appreciate your perspective, Sam, is that uh, you're also an amateur historian and you, you like the big picture, you draw that in. Do you yeah, think do. there are some broader cultural trends, you know, of how we're acting now versus not just 15 years ago, but right. 200, so, years, 200 years ago, they were still homo sapiens, right? Yeah. Uh, same physical bodies in, in that sense, but we haven't uh, changed people much. acted differently. Yeah, but people acted socially differently. Correct. The culture's changed. Human, being and our, our, human beings are the same. Our capacity for anxiety is the same, but our culture's changed dramatically from 200 years ago. Um, particularly in, in the Western world, well, the whole, in the entire world. They always say the past is a different country, right? So I, um, so let me just back up and say that modern medicine is trying to figure this out because we recognize that there's a huge increase in anxiety. There's been an explosion in um, substance abuse. Everybody's aware of the devastation of the opiate epidemic. Um, all this goes back, people use substances when they're covering up pain. Of course, there's, there is a genetic component to addiction. Um, some families have more scourge of addiction than others, but most families, uh, if you if you're extended enough, you'll find addiction in your family. And um, so there's there's something that's changed that is driving this opiate use. And I think part of it is um, anxiety, and depression. But why why is that? Why why have those things increased? Now, medicine, human beings like simple solutions, right? So you'd say, well, it started about 15 years ago. So I think that uh, it must be social media as a big driver in this. I actually think that the, um, I, think it's com- I think it's more complex than that. And as a, as a Christian, I think I have this perspective, I have a perspective that goes back, I would go back starting with the sexual revolution and the kind of primacy of the self as people lost faith in, in the world. You know, you, you have back, you have a, you have a world war, you have a, pandemic in 1918. You have a Great Depression. You have a Second World War. And I think that led people to kind of um, that and among other things have left people to kind of question, you know, is there a God and does he does, you know, what kind of what kind of a God is he that he would allow these these horrors of the 20th century 
which I think then led into the '60s and this kind of like we're going to break the system. We're going to we're going to start over again. We're going to focus on the self. We're going to de-emphasize God. We're taking God out of the public sphere. And so I think people have slowly drifted away from faith, which is something that historically was the anchor of most people's lives and allowed them to survive and thrive in, in circumstances that we now in the modern world would, would seem almost completely untenable. You know, you've got the, the great plagues of the past. Um, human lifespan was, was extremely limited. It was, it was brutus and, and short, right? Um, and so, but despite that, when you read historical, um, when you read a lot of historical things, people aren't wallowing in how difficult their life is. They're often still praising God. And I think that that, that, that um, the Holy Spirit and, and the, the concept of God and the fact that there is a natural law, the fact that there's something bigger than us, there's something bigger than us that we can rely upon, um, is unfortunately missing from many people's lives. So they don't have that piece to give their lives meaning. And so they, uh, they look for meaning in their social networks and, and, and then through social media, uh, Instagram, and that is a fool's errand. And so I think people are, and, and for, you know, there's a lot of pain now because of the breakdown of the family, et cetera. So all these things are toxic stew that is producing this epidemic anxiety and depression. You, you mentioned like two of our episodes and you gave us ideas for eight more episodes right there. So that, that's really mm-hmm. helpful. Um, I, and I think it's, it's important to recognize that what you are saying there, it wasn't just a simplistic um, people used to be Christians and they're not Christians now. Like obviously in the past, various people had, you know, various levels of apprehending faith or not caring about it. There are people now who are faithful, but there is one, some significant difference in that, um, like the institutions that held up faith in society are far diminished now compared to what they were. And so, uh, so if you, if you weren't a believer, if you were a hypocrite or whatever, um, a couple hundred years ago, maybe you weren't a practitioner of the way of Jesus very much, but you did constantly run into the institutions of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were, when, when someone died, there was a church service. When someone was born, there was a church service. Uh, things were constantly referred back to God in many ways. Um, and now uh, the, we get the, the flip side of that now. Even if you are a believer today and you trust Jesus and you try to pray, we don't have those supports. And when all those things happen, things in our lives are not constantly referred back to Jesus. Um, and so I think like you said that we, we lost, we've lost support. And that I feel like is really important that we need supports for a life of faith uh, and just generally for mentally, like you talked about anxiety, that, that support system is really important. Absolutely. I think, you know, a, a, an individual living in the mid 19th century, even if they weren't like a sold out Christian, there was this idea that um, there was that most people probably would have bought into that there's an afterlife. You know, believe in, belief in God now is still quite high. But um, back then, there was an entire framework um, that, that comes from, in my opinion, the, tr- the truth of the, the scriptures and, and from the one true God. So now, I think a lot of people have this kind of vague spirituality, which is pretty thin rule. 
and I don't think provides much sustenance in times of anxiety. Yeah. Uh, Charles Taylor talks about uh, cross pressures. So that even in our secular age, even those of us who have faith, who believe in something, are pressed in upon by unbelief. And even those who now are uh, attest to non-belief are pressed in upon by systems of belief so that all of us, uh, no matter where we're standing, are having this cross pressure coming at us. Uh, and he says that's a form of anxiety, that, that even though for us who are within, um, within those structures, who have that support system, at times we, we find ourselves with this pressing in of doubt, right? Because we're confronted by all of our friends who don't believe and we're told uh, by our culture, you know, that's irrational. You can't believe that. You can't take right. that as a first principle. You can't. Um, and so even for those of us who are within the context of faith, we feel that pressure from our culture um, that can stir up anxiety within us too, that causes doubt about those uh, first principles. And that's, that's a good point, Andrew. You know, I, Sam said something a minute ago, and I wonder if you'd be interested in commenting on this, Andrew. Use the phrase natural law. And, uh, you know, I think about um, when we talk about a life of faith now or 200 years ago, you know, we're talking about things like worship, but we're also talking about how it affects, like you said, Sam, uh, anxiety, physical well-being, and the sense that um, for, if for Christianity to really permeate something, it doesn't just do something to uh, your creedal beliefs, uh, but also does something to your way of life. And that if, if, like, if Christianity as a religion is really true, then acting more in accord with it will help us to live as more like humans, right? That there is a natural law, a natural order of things. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested, Andrew, if you had any particular thoughts on that, as as, as that has changed over time, our our ability to our cult, our ability for our culture, our society to uh, receive that natural law from Christianity. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it it was a given for um, much of the history of the West, even predating Christianity too. Um, you know, you see that understanding of, of um, there being a natural order, order to things that, um, that humans uh, exist on the way towards something, right? That built within us is a desire, a longing for uh, a purpose. Uh, and that in our existence, we're, we are, um, we're aimed at that purpose. We're seeking after that purpose. Um, and it was a given, a given in creation. Um, and so from that standpoint, you could look at creation and you could see it as a, a whole, uh, you saw it infused, uh, with the divine, um, and that we were on our, our way towards that. So our actions, our, our virtues were, um, Stanley Hauerwas has this great phrase, uh, go, going with the grain of the universe, right? Um, and so we were, we were doing that. We were living towards, towards that. And of course, we, depending on your perspective, we would say that that flourished uh, and, and really flowered uh, in Christendom, um, that there was that, um, we all shared that perspective that, that creation in some way shared in its divine source. So there was, everything had meaning and purpose right? Everything around us had meaning. The, the people around me had meaning. The people 
um, that I met had meaning. The, the things that I would encounter in, in everyday life, they all had meaning. It all had purpose um, because it, 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 it shared in the transcendent. It shared in, in truth and in beauty and in goodness. And over the years, and there, it's a long narrative that we could get into, but um, what we have seen is since about the 13th century on, that has slowly and surely been chiseled away till now we find ourselves in what Charles Taylor calls is a secular age where we have pushed off the transcendent. Um, and he's not alone. Guy, uh, sociologists like Philip Brief and, and others have uh, talked about how our society, our culture is the first culture in human history uh, that's really tried to define itself by itself without there being any relationship to the divine without there being any relationship to any sense of meaning or purpose, um, we're the first. And so he, he calls our culture of reef would call us uh, a culture of death because we aren't, we don't have that connection with the transcendent because we don't have meaning and purpose. Um, and so that he would not be surprised that we have so much anxiety um, because we've cut essentially cut our legs out from underneath us, so to speak. Maybe just uh, we'll go just maybe a few more minutes on this um, diagnosis and of, of the problem here before we kind of flip the table and turn to what it looks like for the gospel to, to flourish from within this situation. Um, but I'm just I'm, I'm thinking, you know, remember back, I remember back to uh, your talk at the Nickel City Forum, Sam, um, and you, uh, you mentioned about um, uh, the 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 focus on the self um, coming out of especially 1960s is, is one way to kind of point to that but in general this centering of the self rather than something else being the center we can call that transcendence or a natural order to things or something like that um, do, would you make that connection for some of these people that you will be seeing in an ER that you know th there's a couple steps here to the diagnosis right there's what are you presenting? Is there anxiety behind that? Is that anxiety related to things going on in your life? And then is there something even deeper kind of theologically going on there of like, what's, what's the center of your life? Like, do, does your, does your mind go there when, I, mean, I know you only have seven minutes with a patient or something like that, but uh, as you reflect later on these kind of things. Yeah, so I, I do think that um, Mar my wife and I, who's also my wife's also a physician, she, she sees the same thing, and she's an OBGYN, so she kind of has the ability to have kind of longer, more intimate conversations with her patients. Um, but she and I talk all the time that people have made themselves little G gods, um, and so the focus is on ourself and not the transcendent. And um, it's kind of you know when you when you make yourself God you have set yourself up for um, devastating emptiness and dissatisfaction with life. And um, so, yeah, in, when I'm in the room with patients, I, I really, um, for the last several years particularly, really try to determine which ones are more likely to be anxiety. And I've gotten better at it as I've done it longer. And I do try to for those patients, um, I really do try to, and sometimes I'm not able to, if you've got a gunshot wound on the way into the hospital, sometimes you have to cut these things short. But on the days when I do have more time, I really do try to unpack this for patients. And it, I have to do it quickly, but I try to say, look, this, this is what's going on in your life. This is caused by anxiety. He, these are some practical steps you can take 
to um, deal with your anxiety. And I will often ask, you know, um, are are you a person that has a are you a person that has a church? Do you do attend a church? Do you have a faith that you can rely upon? Because a study show that people that are faithful have less anxiety and depression. And um, so I, I, you know, we have to be careful not to be super preachy and and kind of for people that are vulnerable. But at the same time, I I, I do try, and you know, we are physical and spiritual creatures. And so there's, you have to address when you have a, a sickness in your body, which the mind and the spirit are sick in anxiety, in, in pathologic anxiety, there has to be a, a body and mind fix. So you have to fix the spiritual piece. You have to address that. You also have to address the physical piece. And that's why it's important to, um, you know, to exercise, to eat properly, to sleep properly, so that you have the physical um, strength to um, fight off the spiritual attack that you're often under with anxiety. So I try to, I do try to unpack that for the patients in five minutes, which is challenging, <laughs> but um, you know, I've, I've, I, what I, what my role is to like open a door, a crack, you know, and then, and then tell the patient that's the way you should go. And that's what I try to do. Don't tell our parishioners that because we preachers are not very good at doing that in a few minutes. Uh, we're <laughs> working, we need to work on that skill. Uh, no, you guys need the long form. That's good. You guys can uh, like uh, take it home for patients. <laughs> this is a good transition. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here with a little music uh, by Mr. James Kibbe. Uh, he does our theme song. Also, uh, this is... Um, uh, just a good time to remind you to subscribe. You're listening to Devices and Desires. We have Dr. Sam Cloud with us, attending physician at Erie County Medical Center here in Buffalo, New York. And we're talking about anxiety in our culture. Uh, why is it rising? Uh, where is it coming from? Not just uh, on a granular level, but on a, on a big level. Why are these things changing in our culture? Uh, and so we're, when we come back, we're going to talk about what it looks like for the gospel to open up from within a culture that is becoming more self-centered and uh, that is unraveling in certain ways in people's lives. So we'll be back in just a moment. You are listening to Devices and Desires. Finding a Sacred World in a Secular Age. Like and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash devices and desires. Welcome back to Devices and Desires. This is a podcast examining some of the issues going on in our culture, trying to think about uh, the stories that we're being told by our culture, and, but the problems that are coming from that. And, and then uh, for us as believers in Jesus Christ and his gospel, what does it look like for the gospel to flourish from within that fragmented, breaking cultural narrative? Uh, the topic that we have right now is the role of anxiety in our culture. We have Dr. Sam Cloud with us, attending physician at Erie County Medical Center in Buffalo, New York. I also have with me uh, Father Andrew Tebow and Mr. James Kibbe from St. Bartholomew's. I'm Father Brian Wandell with Church of the Atonement. So we've been talking about the problems. Um, so much to criticize, uh, so many good things that we, we brought out, though, um, that I think are really important to think about for perspective. Let's, uh, let's flip the switch here a little bit. 
um, what, uh, what, what can we do? You know, um, uh, what, what does it mean for this to change? Uh, when you talk about something like anxiety, that's not something that most people feel they can just um, make one decision and it's different. Uh, you know, there's not usually uh, one pill or one exercise regimen uh, or something like that. Uh, and, and from the church end of things, uh, we, we can't just say, uh, go to church on Sunday and something will be different. Like anxiety is, I think it's a good thing to be talking about because it, it goes so deep that the response is also going to have to be deep. Right, Sam? Absolutely. So I would say, you know, so think, think about this. The disciples were anxious all the time, even though they were seeing Christ do tremendous miracles, right? And yet they still were on, the, on a boat. Um, they'd seen Christ raise Lazarus from the dead. They'd, they'd seen him raise the, the little girl from the dead. And yet here they are, you know, anxious every time something is not going um, according to plan. So I think, again, to, to emphasize the inevitability that anxiety is in our life. But what has happened in the last 15 years, um, and probably slowly creeping up throughout the 70s and 80s, actually, is that it has become, the, the pathologic anxiety has grown tremendously. Now, I think some people think that mental illness is kind of a genetic thing, but I, I have seen that it can spread almost like a disease. And it's spreading through our society. So perhaps a person that, that is anxious in 2020, if they had been uh, in 1820, they might have been less anxious because of the, the society milieu that they were in at that time. So once you, though, head down the path of pathologic anxiety, you have a, you have a spiritual problem and you have a physical problem. And they're both intertwined. And we are physical and spiritual creatures. And so do in my opinion, to address anxiety or pathologic anxiety and get it back down to baseline everyday human being anxiety requires a physical and a spiritual fix. You know, I bet you a lot of pastors have had patients that have tried to pray away their anxiety. They're constantly praying, 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 and they're still pathologically anxious. So that's why I think that fortunately we do live in an era where we do have some patients do require medication to get them over the hump. And, you know, I have seen, and my wife, can tell you the same thing. People that have gotten themselves into a bad place of anxiety, they can go on um, antidepressants. Certain classes like uh, SSRIs um, have shown some effectiveness for anxiety. I personally tend to not like benzodiazepines because I think it is more of a cover for their anxiety and not getting at the root causes. Then the thing is, you know, I've heard anxiety link uh, likened to uh, you've created ruts in a in a road, in a dirt road and your thinking automatically goes into those ruts and you have to unmake those ruts and part of that is yes praying and, and focusing on anxiety and what god says about anxiety through scripture part of that is for some people might be cognitive behavioral therapy to try to rewire some of those pathways um so i i think and, and you know unfortunately um in medicine increasingly we're not addressing the spiritual we're looking at human beings as a machine with a serotonin imbalance or dopamine imbalance um whereas i think that yes once you when you go into a pathologic space psychologically you change your brain chemistry because we are physical beings and so there is there is something to be said for trying to get that brain chemistry back in uh, alignment 
where, with what, where, or back towards where it was before you went into this pathological place with anxiety. But it, that's not it alone. We have to address the physical and the spiritual. And so um, that's where I think medicine can help. But modern medicine, unfortunately, is neglecting the spiritual. You know, it's interesting you say that. Um, there's been uh, a long Christian tradition, uh, certainly going back to the Middle Ages, um, read Thomas, St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, on the power of habit in spiritual formation. And this is something that I've seen come up in literature related to brain science in the last you know, 15 or so years. Uh, just like you were talking there, Sam, about how the environments that we're in and the kind of rhythms that we get into uh, actually do affect the brain over time. Our brain starts to work differently and, and physically differently based on those things. And, uh, in, and some, of, some of our churches have, have lapsed into uh, a ways of teaching morality that, that are simply will tell you the thing to do and then you do it. Uh, or uh, that sort of transformational, like once you become a Christian, you will do the good thing. Uh, but there's actually been a rich history of, of Christian uh, reflection on, on the, the need for good habits to develop over time. Uh, habits being something that can grow, sort of like building stairs one upon another, uh, but also because uh, as we as we as we try to do things that don't feel natural to us, are not only uh, are we spiritually trying to obey the Lord, but our brains are changing in those ways also. So I, I feel like that that language of of habit actually ties in fairly well with some of the things that you're talking about here, Sam. Um, I'm really interested, actually, in um, in this physical, spiritual, uh, you know, duality connection, the, the two together, um, the the way we want to keep keep these things together. We sometimes talk about this in churches. Um, I think churches that are healthy, I think, try to talk about this. Uh, but can, can I get your perspective? You've seen the ne the negative side of things, Sam. Uh, you see people like on the really negative side of things when they come into to an ER. Um, when do you see churches acting in ways that will help alleviate some of these issues? And, and when are churches doing things that are simply exacerbating them? You know, that totally broke up, Brian. Can you restate it? I'm yeah, sure. Sorry. So, yeah, when, do you see churches doing things that will um, alleviate uh, some of the, the deeper underlying anxiety? Uh, or are there practices that churches do un unthinkingly, unknowingly, that exacerbate the problems? I, I think that there has been a um, movement in the church that has looked with suspicion at the field of psychiatry and psychology as not trusting God, not being faithful enough. And, and I would liken it to, and you know, certainly the field of psychiatry sometimes is straight into areas that I think, and, and that, you know, I don't agree with, but I think that um, they're in the same way that you don't pray away pneumonia, you know, and now that is not to say that I don't have faith that God, that God does still work miracles in people and, Etc. I absolutely do, but I also think that um, God has guided human ingenuity to, and and into the depths of the mystery of the human body over the last two hundred years in the history of medicine, and particularly in the last 
80 years or so. And so we have ways to halt disease processes that are physical. Um, and I think that there is definitely a physical piece to anxiety and depression. Now, not everybody needs to be on medications. I don't think people need to be on medications for life, but I, we, I, we have seen my wife and I have medication does take people out of a dark place, which then can be, um, a way to read those habits you're talking about to, to get those more mentally healthy habits going so that then you get to your, you get to a place where you come off of medications because the pathologic crippling anxiety is now quite a bit better because you are addressing the spiritual peace through faith and prayer and just talking to your, to your spiritual leader or other Christian friends, you're doing cognitive behavioral therapy and you're on medication and the medication can come off. So I think that it is um, really important um, to address both and not ignore completely what science, what medicine has to offer in this area. Can I give uh, a quick just testimony to, to that in my own life? Um, before I had sort of submitted to Jesus as, as my Lord, I was living a, a rather worldly life, uh, drinking and smoking uh, and all kinds of other things. But at any rate, uh, the Lord got a hold of my life and I quit all of that, right? And I quit it cold turkey and I essentially quit it overnight. Uh, now the, the Lord was working in me and he, he was changing me, but I had been uh, abusing those substances for so long that my chemical makeup and my body shifted. And when I cut those things out all at once, all at the same time, it threw my chemical uh, balance out of whack again. And I had an anxiety attack. I ended up in an ER one night because I had no idea what was going on. I like, I could barely breathe. I, you know, so I, and it was a diagnosed an anxiety attack. I was put on medications as the Lord was working in my life. And I was developing some of these habits and um, developing community around me. I, I was like, I was only on it for like a month. We cycled me on, cycled me off. It balanced out my, my chemical balance again. And because I had been ingratiated into um, community of support as well as developing these habits, I, I haven't ever had a problem with it again. Um, but that was an instance I think where physiologically there was something going on in me that needed to be addressed with. Um, absolutely. Medical it, I think that's, that's absolutely right. And I think we should look at these medications actually as a blessing just the same way we look at um, antibiotics as a blessing. You know, we, yes, we have faith. Yes, we know that God can work miracles in our bodies, but God has also allowed science to progress and develop these medications, which can really help temporarily to stabilize people's mood and, and, and you know, neurochemical balance. Right. And we, we, shouldn't, um, we shouldn't look at this purely as a spiritual disease because there is a physical component. Right, but and likewise, we shouldn't look at it as purely a physical disease either. And there's also that's spiritual that, that's, components, and they yeah, they, that's where the they house play medicine, off each other. And, yeah. Right, and this is this is where the, I think the house of medicine is screwed up because I think a lot of a lot of mental health providers have become what they call neuropharmacologists, and thinking that there's a right combination of medications that can, you know, solve someone's anxiety and depression when then you're ignoring half the problem. Right. There's, there's one writer, he's written some um, popular books recently that has been really helpful for me. His name is Peter Scazzaro. He's a, a Presbyterian pastor in New York City, and he has kind of stumbled across, basically just through some failures in his own ministry. 
you stumbled across um, uh, sort of a, a, a deeper sense of developing a life of faith beyond some of the kind of getting numbers in the door and that kind of thing. And uh, so he, he wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, um, maybe 10 years ago or so. And it's kind of spun off into a number of other things now. And what I've, what I've appreciated about Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is seeing the life of faith as something that um, develops, develops an interior life within us. Um, and so, so the subtitle for the book is, uh, this is, this might hit some people like a ton of bricks. The subtitle for the book is, it's impossible to be spiritually mature without being emotionally mature. Uh, it's impossible to be spiritually mature without being emotionally mature. That there, there's, there's a block there for us um, on the level of spiritual growth we can have without uh, addressing emotional maturity, and this is this is I think along those same lines of getting down to those like s- sources of anxiety that have built up over time. They're feeding into us on deep some subcon- subconscious levels in our culture and the things we learned or haven't learned. I just want to read real quick. Here, here's a, here's a couple of chapters from that book uh, about what it read might. A couple chapters, are you? I'm not going to read a couple chapters. These are just, <laughs> these are just the titles. T- t- titles of a couple chapters. Of, of ways of developing the, that inner life um, in, in a way of growing, growing closer to the Lord, um, but also developing ourselves into more mature people. Uh, so number one, know yourself that you may know God. Uh, so knowing God, uh, know, knowing ourselves uh, enables us in some ways to know more of who God is because of how he's made us. Um, journey through the wall, uh, letting go of power and control is another chapter there. Um, so we, we come to difficulties in our lives when we don't have power, uh, we don't have control over something like that, and things spin, things spin out, we don't know how to deal with it. There, there's a maturity and a difficulty, a learning process there in faith and journeying through that. Uh, this is a great one. Enlarge your soul through grief and loss. Uh, this is just an important part of growing in the Lord as an emotionally and spiritually mature person. Enlarge your soul through grief and loss. Um, the subtitle for that chapter is surrendering to limits in your life. Um, and these are things that I've, I've got to be honest. Uh, I'm speaking as a pastor myself. Uh, the data on us as pastors is not good on this. Uh, the, the, the levels of anxiety, all these other symptoms of uh, overweight, uh, heart disease, um, like all of these things, um, e- even sometimes ab- abuse of various things are above normal averages, you know, not even at the level of the culture, but above it. Um, yeah. So pastors, that easily. yeah, pastors need this uh, m- as much or more than their own parishioners. Um, it's something that I, I, I do feel that um, there, there we, we have a need to, reframe some of what the Christian life is and what we're aiming at and who we lift up as uh, an ideal image of the Christian that we want to be. Um, so anyway, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm interested if, if you, any of you have thoughts. Oh, here, the last one I'll say, because I think Andrew might appreciate this one. Uh, here's, a, here's a chapter title. Discover the rhythms of the daily office and Sabbath. Yes. Uh, an important yes, part of... <laughs> both emotional and spiritual maturity. Um, daily office is uh, regular prayer patterns of coming before the Lord. 
Um, so having, we have morning and evening prayer as kind of our bedrock of um, Anglican spirituality within our church, although many other traditions have something very similar to it. We, we call it the daily office uh, because it's, it's an office. It's, we approach it almost like a duty. It's just, it's just something we do because we ought to do it. Uh, but over time, those rhythms make us to be more of the Christian that we want to be. Um, Go ahead. Well, you, you spoke earlier, we, we were talking about the power of habit, right? Mm-hmm. And that's right. exactly what that chapter, I'm assuming, I've not read the chapter, but when we talk about uh, developing ritual and the, the daily offices, we're talking about developing habit for the mm-hmm. sake of developing virtue um, and character, right? But also good health, good mental health, good spiritual health, that we are creatures that are formed by, by habit. And the, the plug the, James K.A. Smith right there, by the way. That's right. Yeah, which ends up getting noted in a lot of our episodes. And the, the, other, the other part of that, um, what I just read, was Sabbath also. An, another yeah. extremely Rest. countercultural aspect of, you know, taking a moment to breathe divine air, you know, uh, giving that space in our lives. We're recording this now, and this will be released while we're still in lockdown, uh, in, at least in New York State here, from the coronavirus. And um, go ahead, Andrew. Well, I just want to, uh, with the, the idea of Sabbath, it, one of the things that does is it takes the focus off of me. Mm-hmm. Right? We've talked about how anxiety um, in our own time, it, it's about that me-focused culture. We, we've lost the sense of transcendent. But what Sabbath does is it forces us to remember that we are dependent upon something greater than ourselves for all that we have, right? So it, not only are we resting, which is something that we all need in our way over packed lives in our culture. We also need to remember that ultimately it's about what the Lord has provided for us, that it's grace, all is grace, all is gift. Uh, and taking Sabbath, regular Sabbath forces us both to rest, but also to remember that, you know, what, what does Jesus say about the sparrow, right? The sparrow doesn't worry about what it's going to eat, and yet it eats, right? And the flower doesn't worry about what it's going to wear, but Solomon was never adorned like the flowers of the field because of the Lord. Um, I just wanted to, yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. I appreciate that. And so there, there's kind of two sides to the, the coronavirus lockdown that we're going through right now. Um, on the one side, there's ample opportunity for anxiety uh, because uh, the, the, the news cycle is just like it's, you know, these crazy numbers of people dying and we don't know exactly what's going to happen next. And uh, go- the government, you know, says or does one thing one day and then a different thing another day. People have different takes on the news and it causes social tension. So there's a lot of it, and, and then just obviously the isolation that we that we're dealing with, and financial problems. Yeah, yeah. So many things that legitimately are bringing anxiety to people. So we have that on the one side, and then on the other side, though, we also have many of us have opportunities to finally slow down somewhat, um, sort of an extended Sabbath for some of us, not able to do those big projects. You can't move toward a promotion right now. Uh, this is different for different people, I know, depending on your situation. But I'm, I, just, I wonder if we can kind of explore for a few minutes some ways that we can talk about uh, emotionally healthy spirituality, uh, uh, talk about ways 
to grow in rhythms of life um, to reduce anxiety at this time. I'd love to get everyone's kind of suggestions on maybe a couple of things that could be done at this time. Well, it's interesting to me that um, one of society's prescriptions for anxiety is mindfulness, which going back to your earlier point is in meditation and doing yoga and et cetera. And I don't have anything against those things, but it's interesting that those are kind of a modern day uh, secular version of the uh, spiritual offices that people uh, are taking time regularly throughout the day to pray. And and in that situation, instead of being mindful, you know, which probably invariably focuses on yourself, once again, little G, God, um, it focuses you on the transcendent, which will leave you much spiritually spiritually recharged, I think, more than just a, a random or run-of-the-mill mindfulness session. Um, with regards to the pandemic, um, I think uh, in, in every crisis there is opportunity. And I think this has caused all, I mean, all of us, whether you're a physician, whether you're a um, parish priest or pastor, whether you're a teacher, all of our lives have been too busy over the last 40 years. And it's almost like a badge of honor that the busier you are, there's almost like societal prestige with that and filling your life up um, with just constant motion, not doing what... Christians over the past 2,000 years have done, which is take time out throughout every day and slow down for a minute, pray, um, take Sunday as a day of rest. Um, and so this is an opportunity. I think, yes, there's a, a big risk that you're going to see an increase in suicides and, um, from this. But I also wonder, um, are we going to see some people kind of come out into the light of day, kind of blinking? rubbing their eyes is, as they adjust to this new reality and that causes them to reassess. When I'm the focus, when little G, Sam, is the focus, it leads to a lot of unhappiness. And if I'm constantly focusing on someone else's Instagram life or the amazing vacations they're taking or the clothes they wear, that's all gone now. Most people are wearing sweatpants all the time. Nobody's traveling anywhere. You know, nobody's eating at the, the best restaurants. Nobody's, most people, because there's a lot of financial insecurity now, people have probably stopped buying expensive things. And so all, all these things that societies have set, has said it are so important are now in an instant, we have seen that world turned upside down. And so I think there's actually a lot of opportunity for um, people of faith to, to go through and on our social networks and say, boy, isn't this like a time to like, Shouldn't we all be saying, shouldn't we all be questioning that previous life? And isn't there a better way? Yes, there is, in fact. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, one thing, and, and um, this has certainly been borne out in secular research also, uh, one thing that helps people in grief or kind of chaotic situations is having a sense of purpose. Um, and it's certainly, you know, it's a bedrock of counseling ministry, um, Victor Frankl, you know, Jew who survived the Holocaust, he wrote the famous book, Man's Search for Meaning, about, about that meaningfulness getting him through a terrible time. Uh, a difficult thing about the current time is that um, having mission or service, which is often a, a key part of a sense of meaning, is impossible for me. You know, you can't serve at a soup kitchen or something like that right now. Uh, there are a lot, a lot of things you can't do. You're, you're not supposed to go out and... Um, you know, go door to door or something like that, right? Um, but there, I think there are ways that we can engage that right now. 
one is to um, uh, to share love and for people that we do know. Uh, so taking time to do things like writing letters, uh, to specifically remember to encourage people. You know, like on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I send an encouraging text to so-and-so, to, to my pastor, to, to whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> a plug, though, for send, uh, no, to, encouraging no to your pastor. pastor. <laughs> right, right. Self-serving. Um, right, right. <laughs> Uh, or, or, you know, like, see, really take this time to seek to know the Lord. You, you've, most of us have been complaining or making excuses that the reason that we haven't been reading our Bibles as much or, or praying because we're so busy, right? We have so much going on. Well, guess what? You know, you're exposed right now. <laughs> uh, like, take the time to, to, to learn more about the Lord. Read the scriptures. Uh, dig into some topic. Pull up some spiritual reading. You know, one, one resource that's been there uh, throughout Christianity for a long time are spiritual biographies. Um, I, I've recently picked up and just read a, kind of a couple pages each day in my own devotional time, um, Thomas Merton. And, and it's, it, it is something that um, I think helps me to uh, decenter a little bit, like you were saying there, Sam, because I'm thinking about someone else's growth, the work of God in someone else's life. And then when I come back to reflect on my own life, there, there's, a, there's a change in perspective from what I'm used to. You know, there's a bit of a different model, a bit of a different path than I was thinking about before. Um, great opportunity. There's so much, so much good literature there on spiritual biographies. Uh, easy thing to pick up. Many of them you can just read a few pages at a time. Uh, certainly the daily office, like we were saying, uh, pick up uh, an Anglican book of common prayer. Uh, it's all right there. Another plug. Another plug. Yeah. Um, I'm doing uh, a great app too. Yeah. There's an app for it. Actually eight 15 every morning right now. I'm I'm doing morning prayer on our church's Facebook page. Um, so I think a a lot of good things that are available right now. Um, anything else that the the rest of you want to bring up this time? Well, I think, uh, yeah, use the time that we've been given, um, productively. Now is a time where we can develop new habits. Right. We, right. We've had our calendars cleared um, so we can develop new habits. Um, we can develop new practices and rituals uh, within our families. Um, I mean, I, one of the blessings for me is I, I've been at ho- home more. Um, instead of going to work every day, um, I'm still working, but I'm working from home. And so now I have time to, to do morning prayer with my sons and my wife every morning. Uh, and that's been a real blessing to be able, be able to do that and to invest in my children in a way that I haven't been able to do. So I think that's one thing we can be doing. Uh, I think it's important for us in this time to, it, it can be a real drag. Um, it can feel like the life is sucked out of things. Um, beauty then becomes all the more important. Um, finding ways that we can, um, bring some beauty in, into our lives. It doesn't have to be beauty on a grand scale. It could be something as simple as I, with my kids today, I, we were watching some music videos. Um, and it's like, they were dancing around, laughing around. And like, to me, the beauty's in the kids, right? Watching my boys shine um, as they're watching and singing along to these, to these videos. But to them, the beauty's in the creativity of it in in the music of it and the, um, and that, that's a, a real, we all need beauty in our lives. It, it stirs our hearts. It stirs our, the, lo- the love for us. And it points us towards the source of beauty. 
right? Whether we recognize that it's doing that or not, it makes us long for the source of beauty, which is Jesus Christ. He is the beautiful one that we long for. And so um, that can be a great way for us to, to sort of open this space up a little bit is to, to invest in truth and beauty and goodness. Now we have, we have time to do that. This is a great line in the, uh, the book of Isaiah. I was reading this morning, Isaiah chapter 60. And God's talking about how he, how he will restore his people, he'll restore the fortunes of his people. And he says, I will beautify my beautiful house. Yeah. Um, like it's, it's, it's wonderful. You know, like that, that's what God is concerned about. I will beautify my beautiful house. Yeah, God I cares about beauty. Yeah, right. I, well, I, I think this slowdown has caused me to go on, you know, all of us need to get out. I'm going on daily walks in my neighborhood. I have never been so taken with the beauty of spring as I have been this year yeah. and the world coming alive again. And I'm noticing every flower, you know, the, the, the magnolia trees on my street that are in full bloom right now. And just looking at the glory of God's creation that he would give us these little visual delights because he wants us to enjoy, he does want us to enjoy this world. This it is a fallen. We're fallen, but there's still so much beauty here. Well, it was created to point us towards himself, right? Like all Absolutely. the beauty here is meant to point us towards him. Again, that's a tragedy Absolutely. of losing the transcendent, but but it's meant to do that. We saw a fox this morning. Outside our, our window, this big, beautiful fox ran i mean like things are coming out that haven't been out forever because we're not out right, right. so like in our neighborhood this huge fox is just run, we're sitting at the breakfast table this morning we're all looking out the front window there's a fox when was the last time you saw a fox in your neighborhood it was awesome yeah practice of sabbath certainly that'd be my last recommendation is yes uh, we're so out of the rhythm of an actual sabbath in our lives 24 hours segmented from your week, um, clearly delineated if possible. Some some families will um, light a candle uh, or have a special meal to start uh, their Sabbath time, uh, having a certain practice, uh, sing a song. Uh, Again, beauty, singing, um, an extremely important thing to be doing. With that, Andrew. Oh, well, I would be curious to to hear from, from Dr. Sam. Uh, before we close, what recommendations he he might have for churches um, and how we can be supporting um, our parishioners who may be um, feeling anxiety in this time, but especially as we we're coming out of out of this. I think um, I think you you were Andrew you were very transparent today talking about some issues you've had in the past and i i think a lot of coming f- i think from a spiritual leader that's super important um as a physician i sometimes will you know tell you know, like there is i believe me the very first time i knew i was going to see a covid patient and potentially intubate them and put them on a ventilator i woke up in a cold sweat at 2 in the morning before that first day i knew for sure because we had wow. started to see enough cases i knew i was going so yeah anxiety you know, no, nobody has this world figured out. Nobody. And we're all dealing with the same problems um, to some to different degrees. Each person has their own kind of basket of problems, but it's the, it's the same problems across all humanity. And I think we need to be transparent with each other. We need to be loving. We need to give people space to say like, yeah, I'm super anxious and I want to go on medication, but I'm afraid it means I'm not faithful enough. And, and to have those conversations with the churches. 
so I think what, what this is showing us is we all need to slow down. And what are we all missing the most? We're missing human connection. That's the most important thing. We were put on earth um, to interact with our fellow man. And um, part of that is, is making everyone, being relatable, um, reaching out to your flock in every possible way you can imagine, being, being available, um, discussing, you know, ma making sure they understand that nobody's got this figured out. This has turned everybody's world upside down. But yet everybody's also um, going through the same thing. There's, there's, there's a bit of solidarity in this where, you know, most, except for some of us, most people are stuck at home and they're stuck at home with their kids and they're struggling with online school and they're trying to be homeschoolers and maybe work from home. And there's a tension when you're always together. It's all this, everybody's the same. And that's, I think, something that can make people feel better about their situation. Yeah. That's great. Thanks so much. I think this has been a really good discussion, uh, really fruitful. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for being yeah. with us, Sam. Yes, uh, thank you, pleasure. Sam. It's been fantastic. Thank you, thank well, you guys thank for you. being so faithful to your flock. Yes. Thank you to our, our listeners for following along with us. This is Devices and Desires, a podcast about culture and the life of faith in a secular age. Please leave a comment for us. Uh, also, subscribe. Uh, it helps us to get this out to other people as we continue to build this up, build up this conversation and community around these issues. Thanks again for joining us, and God bless you today, my friends. So when don't we, judge me. My wife did my haircut. So first time ever. <laughs> well, don't judge me. I haven't had a haircut in like eight weeks. So <laughs> I know, that's why I was at. Like, I, guess I can't I say anything. Looking, yeah. I, I, was, I was looking pretty shy. I was not, I would not, I was not looking uh, professional. Let me just put it to you that way. So I, my wife finally was like, I got to try. Gotta try. So, but since she's my, a surgeon, I figured it was, it was okay to let her try. My she wife probably also, has the hand dexterity, right? <laughs> My wife also cuts my hair, but she's, been, she's turning down my requests. <laughs> <laughs>